This is the second chat between me and Di. We were going to do a third based on any questions we get from listeners. So if you've got any responses to what we've said here or want to know something else about making the pivot to online, just tweet me at Mark Childs and we'll finish off the trilogy. As last time, it's divided into sections. So if you like, you can just dip in where and wherever you want to. And the timings for the sections are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Hope you like it. The things that I want to look at today, please. Supporting different types of students, um, inclusivity and accessibility. Uh, which is something we touched on before when you mentioned the Canon style, which I thought was really interesting and be helpful. Um, supporting collaborations, do's and don'ts, which I thought was a really interesting. And health and digital well-being about staying offline. And I'm going to add an extra thing in because I've got an gorgeous email from one of my lovely students to, and it was, I'll paraphrase it, to all my teachers. I'm really not feeling any motivation at the moment. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably going to hit a not achieved, maybe an achieved. But if I try my hardest, maybe I'll do better. But I'm really not feeling it. I'm terribly sorry. I want to try, but I can't. And I wrote back to him saying, well, pretty much a lot of people will be feeling that way. At the moment, you need yeah. to focus on what gives you joy with your whanau and your friends and everything else we can manage with time and patience. So the, the what makes it even more stressful and interesting, challenging at this moment is our students' health and well-being in the middle of a crisis. So there's three areas and the third area, the health and digital well-being. Yes. Yeah, so we talk about those as two different things, I think, because they are one of them is Will always, there'll always be anxieties around moving online. But of course, overwhelmingly, we've got this massive other thing going on at the same time. So where do you want to start? I think if we go to um, the first ones, and, and let's just go through that list, supporting different types of students, inclusivity and accessibility. I think one of the things that happens when you move from a face-to-face environment to an online environment is it's not that suddenly students are disadvantaged. It's that the patterns of advantage and disadvantage are going to change. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you find in a face-to-face environment is that there are some people that are really effective at doing that and some people that are less effective and so therefore aren't. it's not as inclusive, as inclusive an environment for those people. One of the things I've noticed, and I think we've had this discussion loads of times before, is that there are some people who are very effective at uh, verbal cueing, about recognizing when to uh, participate, when uh, in negotiating those sorts of uh, relationships in a face-to-face environment. But they then require those sorts of things in order to maintain that level of privilege within that sort of space. And this is one of the reasons why it needs to be negotiated rather than simply accepted is that they are moving then from a position in which they are dominating that face-to-face environment uh, into one in which maybe other people then start to have more of an ability to communicate. We have some people that are actually quite shy in a face-to-face environment and then suddenly blossom when they move to a, an online environment. And the, the slang word for that is textrovert, which is <laughs> which I kind of like. Um, However, 
there are other situations that are happening as well when you're moving to an online environment, one of which is accessibility as far as simply connectivity. So some students won't have access to laptops. They might not have great internet connections. There might not be a laptop in the house. If you're presenting uh, tasks that need to be printed off, they're quite unlikely to have a printer. And in an environment like this where everybody has to stay at home, they can't go off and get it printed out. So those are the sorts of things that need to be considered as well. Or even if there is something within that house that enables them to get online, then they might not have access to it all the time because they have to share it with other children in that environment or with their parents or whatever. So those are some of the issues that need to be taken into consideration as well. Unfortunately, there's no real way around having that kind of online interaction to some extent because that's our main mode of communicating with people at a distance. You could post stuff out to them and print it off yourself, but that's not really very effective either. You can make some of the tasks available over a mobile phone and a lot of situations, people have got access to mobile phones where they don't have laptops. So you could make the platform on which some of those activities are located mobile accessible, and then they can access it through their mobiles and get onto the website as long as you can then read it properly on that website. So we've got the accessibility issue, which is just about the technologies, but also there's accessibility, accessibility around different forms of sensory disabilities, motor disabilities, those sorts of things. So with sensory disabilities, one of the things I've found with analysing uh, students' disabilities, and again, this might be not something that translates to to, to younger students, but amongst adult learners, if we look at the levels of interaction that students with visual impairments have, students with speech impediments have, students with um, hearing impediments, then... Actually, there is no difference in the levels of interaction that those students have if you're looking at something like a discussion board or text, because most of our students, and it might be the case for a lot of the younger students, they have assistive technologies and they are used to using those assistive technologies, and those will actually all be implemented in their daily lives already. And so, therefore, as long as you are creating tasks that can be accessed in different ways by different students, then there may not be that big a problem. That might not be where your problem lies. I, well, I was just going to dive in with two points. The first one is, is answering the, the fact that what's coming across is that in many ways you're almost advocating that online learning can be more equitable in terms of accessibility. I certainly um, hear you about the, the vocal minority that often mm-hmm. can control real-life um, learning versus the the, the the, the perception that you get based on their opinions versus mm-hmm. the actual reality. And that, that resonates, uh, I think, with most teachers. There's always a, um, a disconnect between the two areas. So I, th- I like this idea of the, the equity, this being a more equitable way of – and I'm wondering how moving forward, having this online background support system might be actually very, very useful. Uh, and to support my, you know, back to face-to-face teaching, that that's my future. I don't want to make the claim that there's less inequity in an online environment. Oh. I think I'd rather stick to the inequities are differently distributed. Uh, one of the disagreements I have with people kicking off about online learning is that, oh, it's not fair because not all students can access it. Well, not all students can access face-to-face. I, yes, there are. There maybe the, the differences are more obvious in an online environment because it's newer to us, but you know there are a lot of problems with the face-to-face environment too. 
We're going to move yeah. on. Yeah. I think you've answered okay. that extremely well. I'm going to go. There was one other thing I wanted to say about the, <laughs> the going back to the whole thing about there is no, um, although maybe some of the visual and uh, hearing and, and motor impairments, I didn't mention a motor last time, oh, yeah. although a, a lot of the sensory <laughs> impairments uh, aren't necessarily uh, excluding, uh, that all depends on the way that you design the tasks and about the way that you design your assessments. And of course, what you should be doing as teachers, and I'm sure we all do, is that your assessments are based around the learning outcomes and that you're providing multiple routes for students to to fulfill those learning outcomes so if they're dyslexic you might want them to not write a massive essay but produce a video if they are um, motor impaired you might if you're on your painting things you might find an alternative way to get them to to create that final art product despite their motor impairments so ideally you would have all those different things in place and it's just a matter of those did that distribution of different tasks in order to achieve those learning outcomes are then just going to be differently distributed the one thing that technology you can't get an assistive assistive technology to compensate for our mental health issues and this is where we will then talk in a bit about some of the extra issues that are coming through with the with the pandemic, but even so, putting students in an environment where they're having to maybe use a technology they're not familiar with or post their ideas online and therefore be exposed to the rest of the class, those then may trigger a lot of mental anxiety issues that wouldn't have existed before or might have existed in a different way or for different students. So some might have a problem talking in class. Some people might have a problem talking online. Those different anxieties are going to flare up in different ways. And it's a matter of you as a teacher being aware of those differences, but also maybe enabling your students and empowering your students to pick up on those things for themselves and be able to articulate those things themselves and think through some of the issues they might be facing. The issue with teenagers is by definition, we haven't got that necessary uh, set level of self-reflection. Um, as, exactly. as you understand, in de- developmentally, they're not, they're not there. And so often we are uh, putting out fires um, yeah. with, with mental health issues and sort of reflecting back behavior and comments and saying, whoa, this gives me an indication that this is going on. I think um, personally for um, in, in drama with the students, because of the relationship w- that we have developed in classes, there is a very high trust model. There's a very high safety model. Um, my mantra, if you like, um, which is not mine, it's stolen from other greater people than me, is well, you can't take a risk if you don't feel safe. Mm. So if you want to take risks in, in drama and creativity, you've got, you've got to feel safe. And that is something that will translate to an online environment because it's relationship-based. It's got nothing to do with the technology. That's to do with the relationships. And that's why teachers are brilliant and amazing and, and, and <laughs> different from people who write books. <laughs> Yeah, and we said this last time as well, I think, which was that this is why you need to that those trust mechanisms and those safety mechanisms that are built up in a face to face environment, they need to be relearned for an online environment. You can build them up. To- not necessarily to the same extent, but you can build them up by giving students a chance to play with those environments, to make those one-to-one connections, to maybe even go off and create their own separate little sets with stuff that they're familiar with, like Google or Google Hangouts or WhatsApp or whatever. Um, and those are the sorts of things that if you give time to will then pay off in the long run because you've got those sorts of mechanisms 
for creating that kind of support. One of the things that looking at online collaborations is, and we all know this, is that you build up that trust incrementally by exchanging, setting small tasks for each other, fulfilling those tasks, mm-hmm. having a kind of positive attitude, identifying the people who've got positive attitudes. And when that's a successful collaboration, that then becomes a kind of a positive reinforcement going up and up and becoming stronger and stronger and all that sort of thing. Now, in an on, in a, the alternative to that is, of course, some people start failing, they don't respond, they don't take a professional attitude or a, 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 an academic attitude to their work, and they don't submit things on time and things start falling apart. So when we're looking at an online environment, that positive reinforcement model exists in the same way. Um, it's, uh, you know, there might be glitches with the technology, but people laugh them off and go, oh, well, the technology didn't work that time, but we still got it through. It didn't really, and that sort of stuff. The other side of things, though, when things start falling apart, that doesn't translate to an online environment as, as well, because in a face-to-face environment, if your collaborators aren't collaborating effectively, there's a chance you bump into them in the corridor, you take them for a coffee, you've got all these interstitial, incidental mechanisms for trying to rope them in and readdressing and regaining that trust or at least turning it around. In an online environment, you don't have those mechanisms because if somebody's not responding, they're not responding and you can't find alternative ways if you might try them. Oh, they didn't answer my email, so I'll try them on Facebook. They didn't answer my face back. Right, I've got their phone number. I'll send them a WhatsApp message or whatever. You might find all these alternative routes, but when that trust starts to break down, it's really difficult to bring it back around again. And I would have to say, I haven't found a mechanism to do that yet. Um, The only thing I can suggest, and this is the only thing that does work, is to try and preempt some of that by when you're setting collaborative tasks, spending that time teaching your students how to collaborate, what to do, how to resolve conflicts, what are the processes that you go through. And it's incredible that even at an undergraduate level or a postgraduate level, where we insist on students being able to collaborate, we just throw them out and go, right then, you form a set, you collaborate, we want this report in three months, and then in three months they take a look at it. And it doesn't work like that because there are skills, intrinsic skills, that need to be taught in order to be able to collaborate effectively, and you have to be transparent about those and take people through that process. I think for just looking back on my own team, doing a bit of what the kids call flexing, one of the things I really focus on is meta learning and the fact that when you know when those opportunities for um, those teaching moments come up in class, and you you actually say, well, why is this working? And I spent a lot of time with my year nine saying uh, they worked as a as an entire class. In fact, they kicked me out of the room and said you're not allowed in we're not ready for you to see it and I had a door open listened through and I said to them what made it successful how did you manage to achieve what you achieved and and they were able to analyze you know the behaviors that were helpful so so, you know that you know often we emphasize what went wrong but we don't always uh, deconstruct why things are successful for collaborative Mm. groups so I think I absolutely agree with you um I just, I don't know how I would do that online because 
to me that was so wonderful and and again you know often being very interrogative with my, with my kids and saying well your group worked particularly well why what was it that you did that made this so good and sometimes to the other group well what is it that didn't work so that people actually say well we didn't listen to each other so there's ownership of the work how do you do that on, on- one of the things we found was that actually if you go in there with a massive amounts of techniques and skills and this is how you should do things the students are actually learning from the mistakes and learning from the mistakes actually then embeds a lot of that learning a lot more effectively and talking through different people to different people about how should we then best go about doing this the answer was getting back the one that made the most sense to me was well you could actually show them it working show them it not working and then get them to analyze for themselves why do you think this situation works why do you think this one doesn't you could actually look at this and go, well, actually, this is why this worked now. It's because they kept in touch with each other. It's because they said when they wanted to get these responses by, and then for they, everybody knew where they were at. I mean, one of the biggest things as well that we found was that all of the communications happened across all of the people within the collaborative groups. So you find that within a face-to-face environment is you've got lots of people talking. It's easy for everybody to get together into a cafe or somebody's bedroom or whatever and chat about all the different sorts of things. But when you're online, there's a tendency for younger people, actually, no, it's a tendency for everybody, for some of that communication to break off into one-to-ones or off-channel stuff. And they go, well, I met up. Wait, okay, we're not meeting up with people at the moment. But in a normal environment, there's still the chance to meet people when you can and have an offline chat. That's how some of that trust then starts to break down because not everybody's privy to all of the conversations and so therefore people start feeling excluded. So you have to make sure that there's a channel by which all of that sort of stuff can come together in order for people to be able to feel like everybody knows what's going on. Thank you. That's really helpful. Are we on to... um... Health and digital, we've covered that, haven't we, really? Health and digital. Not re- oh, well, not really, because there are some things specifically that I wanted yeah. to say about that, which are really, really obvious, but sometimes people forget. Okay. A health and well-being, there's a thing called digital well-being, and it's a whole set of different techniques, and I can give you a link for that. It's uh, In the UK, we have this uh, sort of quasi-autonomous non-governmental organization that um, deals with all the e-learning kind of stuff for uh, further education, higher education called JISC. And JISC are brilliant. They fund lots of really interesting projects over the years. The people are really friendly. Uh, I'm saying all this because they might get some more money out of them. No, 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 that's not not why. They've done this thing called the digital well-being thing, and they have all these categories. And one of the most important things is knowing when to turn off And I think this is one of the mistakes I've seen with a lot of people going into, a lot of schools going into, oh, my God, we've got to do everything online, is, well, we used to have lessons that were from 9 till 3.30 or whatever. And so, therefore, we've got to have the students online from 9 till 3.30 because otherwise it's not the equivalent sort of situation. That's horrendous. I was looking at somebody's, it was a kindergarten class, and it was, so it's, you know, tell it's the US because it's kindergarten. Um, But... um, it's uh, It was like, here's the schedule, and it's like 9 to 9.30. It's like playing with maths, and then 9.30 to 10. And then between 10.30 and 11, they had a, a movement break. It's like what? they only had 30 minutes for movement in the entire like, morning before oh, their lunch. That's thinking. insane. So oh, so God. the thing, I mean. And they don't call I, it play. Yeah, and these are like, like, it's like being in prison. Yeah. 
Exactly, yeah. And and um, I mean, in my job, in most jobs, they will say I've got a, a thing on my laptop to say after forty minutes, get up and walk around for twenty minutes. So for fifteen minutes in every hour, I'm moving out. I'm going for a walk. I'm coming back, and then I'll do another sort of bit of work. Uh, it, the ratio might be the other way around sometimes, but that's important to be able to do because in a classroom, you're moving around all the time. You can stretch. You can do all those sorts of things. That's so physically different from sitting in front of a laptop, and that's bad enough for somebody who's 56, but for a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or something to be stuck in front of a laptop the whole time is horrendous. Oh. And I, I just, it's So basically... What I'm suggesting is that when you're designing your lessons, not every lesson that you have every 11 till you know, 11, five minutes past 11 to 5 to 12 or whatever, not all of those have to still be synchronous sessions. You might want to have a synchronous session for 20 minutes where you – where you set tasks, where you chat to students, where you find out if they've got any issues, and then you send them off to do stuff independently to read or to create their own things or to go through their worksheets or whatever it is. And then maybe the next lesson, but maybe they're spending their time doing things on other stuff. And then the next time you have a scheduled meeting, you bring them back, you have a discussion, you do the thing that synchronous stuff is important for, which is community building which is communication which is all the affective types of things the social stuff but also i think there's this thing called convey uh, convergence so it's that idea where ideas are brought together and they have to be done in a synchronous way because you're bouncing off each other those sorts of things can be done but that's not what you were doing for you know two hours in a week or four hours in a week whatever you were scheduled for you're only doing it for 20 minutes or an hour that's all the only stuff that you need to be doing synchronously in your zoom meeting or whatever. But yes, yeah, so so it's a matter of designing, thinking through where am I disseminating information, email it out, or use whatever mechanisms you've got for just sending the information out, conveyance of that information. A more flipped model, you know, flipped question. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And and so but whereas actually within a classroom you might have been setting that task in the classroom because you that's that's the problem with the flipped model i mean i don't know if you ever tried the flipped model but i've done that with adult learners how did you get on with the flipped model of learning oh that was it was hilarious so um, i i put some information out for my year 13s uh, and i said okay we're gonna we're gonna check and I knew they hadn't done it. I just knew that they hadn't. So <laughs> no. I, I did this. I made a quiz and I set it up. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether you know the, the, the type of quiz where until you get the question one right, you can't get question two. So you, oh, you, yeah. And they were competing in teams and they're fabulously mm. competitive. So basically what, what I had to do was uh, set this big quiz. So they were all fighting to get to the number one to beat each other. And then they finally looked at the equipment, so uh, at, at the resources. So I was like, well, hmm. That was interesting. So I, 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 I do think about own ownership of learning. I think yeah. it probably takes a bit longer and you probably need to make it a smaller thing that I do. Um, yeah, no, I've I done it with, with adult learners and it's like, well, okay, so before you get to this session and I've done it myself, I've gone to workshops and they yeah. go, well, no, actually, I, I do read the stuff because I'm a nerd. But most yeah. people don't. Yeah. There has there has to be consequences, and and I, we did it in a fun way, and the consequences were 
you're going to let so-and-so beat you. And <laughs> fortunately, they're, yeah. they're such a good, fun group that that was enough of a, a motivation. <laughs> and, and that whole gamification, like turning it into a competition, I mean, that works on about half half your students. So half your students will actually yeah. want to win. I don't work well, you know, is that kind of thing, do you work well under pressure? It goes back to the personalities of the children in your classroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, some will fall apart. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and, so, and some will will really thrive on that. Yeah. So, um, but it's it's another tool in your toolbox to try and get them to do it. But this is the thing about it, when you're in an online environment, you don't have that control, no. and the students are not within that sort of thing. So, one of the things you can do is take some time to learn some of those self motivation, self direction skills yeah. to. Sure. To find different ways to manage it, like making it competitive or saying there's a time limit. You've got to set time limits because that's the only way you've got to impose some structure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, not, But not too much because, you know, it's a bit mental at the moment. Yeah, exactly. That's the other um, What I did, I had, um, I had an assignment that I'd sent out to my year 10s, which was actually a mop-up for work that they should have completed at the end of the, the term, but I was, you know, away. And so um, I, I was really impressed with um uh, Google Classroom because you have that lovely thing where you can just flip flip them a note and all I did was I sent them a message saying hey are you okay with this assignment do you need any help rather than you haven't sent this in it was a yeah. you know it, I think it's okay and then my favorite response was from a child who hadn't sent it in and I, are you okay are you okay with this assignment do you, are you, do you is everything all right and they went yep still haven't got the work <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm okay with this assignment. I understand it. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, at the best of times, trying to be learning, doing that initial thing where you're being self-motivated, self-directed, pacing yourself, getting the stuff done in, in enough time. It's stressful enough as it is when you're first starting to do that. I mean, you know, the transition to uh, higher education, that's one of the most stressful things is you don't have a teacher there telling you what to do all the time. And unless you've got a parent that's sat at your back telling you what to do all the time, then then you don't have that sense of structure. And so therefore, students are going to fail and it's at that sort of stuff. They yeah. might be completely competent at the at the subject matter, the subject discipline, but they're not very good at the self-discipline because actually it's a really difficult thing to learn. And I, I mean, you know, I still haven't learned it. Probably. No, and they're young. You mean the, the, that's it? My, yeah. my, 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 our students are young. One of the things that you can do in order to enable some of that extra peer learning to go on yeah. is there's kind of like the some of the modes we've talked about already, which is the conveyance mode, which is pass that information on. You do that asynchronously. You can exchange basic ideas asynchronously. You can make sure that you know, through discussion boards or through email or whatever that sort of text-based thing is. And then you can do the convergent stuff, which has to be done synchronously, community building, exchanging ideas. And that's really completely off, uh, asynchronous or completely synchronous. But there's a mode in between, which is a lot of these software enable you to do, which is actually just log on. And you're not necessarily talking with somebody all the time but they're just sitting there it's like you know i've got uh, my little icon in the corner like on skype it's just a little box and then somebody go oh are you there i can't get my head around this and then you go oh yeah so how's it going and if it's like a study date basically so if you could get your students to actually 
pair up like that or go into yeah, threes or fours I'm or whatever that, to form those little study groups yeah, yeah. they log on at the same time They'll, you don't have to be there they don't they can choose whatever time they like to fit in around their schedule or the shopping trip or whatever and then they all log on at those times and they all can then help each other through and also there's a little bit of peer pressure to make sure yes, that they're doing yes. that work at oh, that particular I like time that. that's very cool yes because that's yeah. what happens in the class I also want to drop in back to the health and well-being about the parental role that, yes, I think that's something certainly for our younger students is really important because it is um, or the, the far now, whoever is taking that parenting role and recognizing that these children need space to work. They need time to work. They might need somebody to stand over them to get stuff done because I remember needing that as a teenager. Or they might not be in a space where they can cope with any of this because they were already having existential over climate change. And then this double whammy. In a situation like this where you're locked down as well, there's a whole set of other things. I mean, some of the things that you might want to, the students are under stress, they're anxious. Some of your, I mean, I grew up with people that were never at home and were always around their friend's place because they had abusive parents. And so therefore, you've got some students who are going to be contending with that. They're locked at home with a with a parent that really they shouldn't be left alone with. And those are the sorts of situations you're going to be anticipating with your students. And also, you know, the whole fear thing, there's all that going on as well. And so therefore, you know, being generous about your students, not assessing uh, the OU where a work has dropped a lot of its assessments. Their students are adults, they're, learner, they're all adult learners, and yet they're understanding those mitigating circumstances and therefore they're dropping having assessments, they're giving people longer to do it. I've heard some parents going, you know what, just forget about school for the next few months and then when my, ch my child's ready, I will then reintroduce them to school and then when it's all over with then they'll be in the right frame of mind so I feel there's been an emphasis in New Zealand about that a recognition that we want our children to be healthy and well it's in it serves no one's interest to have a child who's managed to get all their assessments in and is a quivering wreck in a corner and I think that that has come across really well certainly in New Zealand I don't know UK. so I just wanted to add that bit into the the health and well-being section. Right, I'm going to stop now. Okay. That's been brilliant, Mark. Once again, this was so helpful and fun and educational. Thank you for your time. Oh, that's a pleasure. Mm -hmm.